I saw my first Aurora ever from Auckland, uh, funnily enough, in 2017. No way. Yeah, yeah. It was um, me and my flatmate were um, just out shooting out west in Auckland, uh, Sunset, and then we got an Aurora alert. So we grabbed our gear and went to a different location and just set up some time lapses. And then halfway through the night, we checked them. And yeah, we had Aurora on our cameras. Couldn't see it with the naked eye because it's, you know, it was quite far away. But that was crazy. And I think we were the second or third people that had ever seen Aurora from Auckland. This is Aotearoa Adventures with your host, Abigail Hanna, the podcast for everything you need to know to travel New Zealand. I talk to photographers, van lifers, moms, students, and everyday Kiwis to hear their inspiring stories from past adventures and to share helpful tips and tricks for your travels. Whether you're visiting Aotearoa for the first time and live on the road, or you work a nine to five and have lived in New Zealand your whole life, you're guaranteed to learn something to plan your next getaway and get a new excitement to explore more of this beautiful country I call home. So grab your hiking boots, hop in the car and turn up the volume. Kia ora, welcome to the podcast, Lauren. It's awesome to have you with us today. Do you want to introduce yourself for our listeners? Uh, hey everyone, my name is Lauren and I am a photographer based down in Wanaka and I specialise mainly in astrophotography and landscapes. How long have you been doing photography for? Has this been sort of your job for the last couple of years or how did you get into it? It all really began about... 13 years ago when I went backpacking and I went backpacking around the world and I wanted to have a decent camera with me. So I bought my first DSLR and just sort of told myself as I went, I was away from New Zealand for about 11 months and just dabbled in all kinds of photography. So that's where it all started and it just grew from there really, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's how some of the best things start. You just you just pick up a camera and you just see where it takes you. Yeah, I always wanted to learn the art of photography like in terms of the the technicals i always felt i had a bit of an eye for it but i didn't understand anything about the technical side of it so it all started from wanting to learn and then travel presented itself and so i was able to put some of those things that i learned to the test when i was traveling so yeah yeah no that's awesome did you travel much as a kid with your family as well or was it only when you're a bit older and started backpacking that you sort of fell in love with with travel we would always go on holiday every summer as a family, all over a different location around New Zealand. And yeah, so we're always hiking, we're always doing adventures. Uh, my parents were really keen to get us out into the outdoors as much as possible. So I just grew up with that sort of out, outdoor lifestyle and it's just become natural for me to, to be out and about. And now having a camera is just an even better excuse to get out and about. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Do you remember like one of your first memories or do you have like a really early memory that sort of stuck with you from those early travels as a family? One of the earliest memories that I that I have was um, we were staying up at Pai here and then we went traveling to a beach and we were bodyboarding and my mate who came along with us, he left his sunglasses at the beach and then not wanting to get in trouble from his family what he only realized once we got back home and then he found this makeshift raft and paddled over the um the channel to get to this beach that we'd been to but the thing was this channel was real busy with ferries and all kinds of boats and so we don't know how he did it and so my, my parents freaked out ended up driving over there and we met him on the road before he got to the beach so he got his sunglasses back but like how he made it across that channel on this little tiny raft with like bottles and attached to it was crazy and you know we were only like 11 years old or something at the time so that was pretty hectic oh that's awesome 
<laughs> I saw something recently that went along the lines of sunglasses choose you and you don't get to choose how long they're going to stay around for. They just they just come and go and it's not something you have any control over. <laughs> yeah, they're just one of those things that they just come, they do come and go. I actually lost a really good pair on Mount Taranaki last year when I was hiking up. I, I was hiking from Saimhat to the summit, um, did this two-day sort of traverse and halfway up had a break um, and then set off, got about 100 metres, well, not probably about to 200 meters up and realized that I had left them back down there and there was just no way I was going back down I had my pack was about 25 kgs and it was a boiling hot sunny day and they will forever be lost to the mountain now so <laughs> uh, this wasn't around Taranaki was it yeah yeah on Mount Taranaki um around the south side heading up from Saimhat wait this is going to sound crazy because Oh, same hut side. Okay. Yeah. That was not the side we were on. We were doing the Pukai circuit. Oh, yeah. And being me, I always get really tired and I just will plop down wherever I feel like it to have a break and plop down literally in the middle of the track. There wasn't any like seating area. And just as we were leaving, I looked to the left and there was a pair of Oakley sunglasses, I think. Oh. Um, real expensive pair. And I was like, Isaac, they're yours. Turned to my husband and he had them for a little while until they fell off his head kayaking or something. Um, but yeah, sunglasses just find you. Sunglasses, <laughs> eh? Yep, they sure do. So how did you sort of transition, Lauren, from travel photography and when you first picked up a camera to getting into astrophotography and to where you are today? Great question. It, it all started like my first ever astro shots ever were I was on a tiny little town in the mountains of Bulgaria somewhere and it was clear skies and it was hot and I always wanted to give Astro a go and I never had any idea where to start how to do it so I just started with star trails and I just started doing a whole lot of different kind of lengths of exposure and that's how it started and then it wasn't till probably a few years later after I went to film school that I picked up the camera again for Astro and started to I think I'd seen this image online somewhere, which I thought was really cool and I wanted to try and replicate it. So I went out to Murawai Beach in Auckland and tried to get this sort of similar image to what I'd seen. And after that night, I just, just started off, off in an obsession. And like with working in film and TV, the days are really long and the work can be quite hard. So I would go out as often as I could when I wasn't working and just either hike or explore and take the camera. And so when I was doing that, that's when I started to get back into Astro again. And so every opportunity to get out there, I was shooting Astro night after night, any clear night I could get. And it just went from there and it just became this crazy obsession that took over my life when I wasn't, you know, working my real job. Yeah, and that's where it really started. That's awesome. That's so cool to hear hear that sort of journey. Um, do you have some favorite spots in New Zealand that you keep sort of going back to, to capture Astro? Uh, yeah. So I'm originally from New Plymouth. Um, so anywhere around Taranaki is really special for me. So I spent a lot of time around the mountain and around some of the lakes and rivers, uh, shooting there. So that place for sure. But my, probably my favorite area in the country is the Mackenzie country or, and the West coast of the South Island. Just, just the skies are just unreal 
completely dark mm. and you can often just have a whole location to yourself which i quite enjoy, like you know i quite enjoy being out there and having no one else around it's part of the reason of going out often but it's the central south island or you know the south island in general is the skies are just incredibly dark so it's um that you know it calls me back time and time again and now living down here it's just so much easier to access so i'm looking forward to this year for sure yeah and i mean the mckenzie region and around tekapo especially it's got that sort of global recognition as a dark sky reserve so you know it's it's up there in terms of global global spots to capture astro and see the stars yeah and the whole area is what makes it really good is is there's so many different kind of landscape um formations and scenes there that you could be next mm. to a lake one minute and then in the mountains like an hour later there's just so much going on there it's just uh an incredible place to explore mm. tell us a little bit about the process what does it look like from sort of ideation to execution and where do where do ideas sort of come from a lot of my ideas come from um places that i haven't seen astro taken from like i feel photography is you know, is very saturated now in terms of images that you see online and almost anyone has a camera and people are always traveling now. And I think we, as Kiwis, we're really outdoors kind of people. So yeah. um, with all these images online, I'm always looking for something different and trying to challenge myself and trying to capture images that haven't been seen yet. Um, that's one of the big motivators for me and driving forces behind what I do. So I'm thinking of locations that, um, you know, might not have um, have been captured before, but also some locations that have been, but been but doing them in a different way or, or you know, seeing, seeing a different scene or a different foreground. Um, so you're always thinking of different compositions and, and locations, but really drawn to, to trying to find an image that hasn't been mm. captured before especially with astro yeah is it usually quite a long time between sort of ideation and execution to sort of line everything up make sure everything's in the right place because i know that like the stars i mean i haven't i haven't done much astro slash any astro <laughs> well my one attempt let me tell you this story yeah. um we were in ruapehu and camping in our car this was like years and years ago it must have been like minus two degrees, but I was like, I want to shoot the stars. We had this um, DSLR, I think it was our first camera, 1300D or something. And I just popped on the roof of the car because we didn't have a tripod or anything. And I took a photo and looked at it. It's all black. Yeah. I did it again, like a couple times. And I was like, no, nope, too cold. Like I'm done. Got back in the car and realized that I had never taken the lens cap off. <laughs> uh, classic. That's such a classic. Classic. Yep. Yeah, everyone's done that at least once, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, and it was just like so cold. I was like, no, nah, not getting out there again. But um, that that was my first attempt, um, not my last. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah with, with the stars moving around in the sky and sort of from planning to execution, does it take a while to sort of get that shot or can you have the idea and be out there the next day and capture exactly what you are after? Uh, there's quite a lot of variables involved. Like, So there's, there's a Milky Way core season and... A lot of my astrophotography is based around the, where the Milky Way core is. Um, so some shots can take days. Mm -hmm. um, the odd occasion I can think of something and then go and shoot it the next day. It all depends on the season and the the phase of the moon and the position of the Milky Way. But like 
my I had a bucket list shot that took me five years to capture, and that was trying to get all the conditions to align, which was wow. um, you know it was really really difficult, and it would be it was there's so many fails to get that shot, but finally everything lined up, and so sometimes it's about um, you know having those ideas, but then you're at the mercy of the weather always. And New Zealand is very changeable. So more often than not, you have to be patient. And as soon as you see that window of opportunity, go for it. But yeah. that can take months sometimes and and, and the odd occasion, yeah. Um, years, yeah. No, that's really cool to hear. Um, do you have any tips for beginners or for people that are wanting to get into astrophotography more or might be traveling to New Zealand and want to get a couple shots of the stars my best tip for beginners is to come on one of our workshops. Um, there we go. It's, it's uh it's the it's the way to learn. It's the way to learn. I I've just started a business this year with another photographer, and we're running photography workshops centered starting off with astro, but then moving into landscape. And the reason I say this mm-hmm. is not just because I'm running a business, but when I was learning. I felt I got to a point where I'd watch YouTube and I'd watch videos and I'd read blogs and stuff, but I just was stuck. And so I found a a workshop online, uh, an Astro workshop, and I went and did this uh, one night of Astro and it completely changed my whole journey with Astro. It it just, it, it taught me, the guys taught me how far I could push my camera, things that I wasn't seeing on YouTube, like there's there's something about someone who's had that experience that is so much better than like a video mm. online um that real world teaching from their experience it just set my journey ahead like way faster than any uh, online material did at the time so yeah i'm so i'm a big big advocate for workshops um getting people who have made all the mistakes before you to teach you through their lessons and stuff so yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah that's that'll be my top and i think it also comes down to like you don't know what you don't know and with with sort of when you're trying to self-teach yourself through youtube and stuff you can hit a roadblock or something you can look up how to get past that roadblock but yeah there comes a point where unless you you don't know what you're searching for so you can't get past that um yeah exactly exactly 100% agree with you and i think it applies to so many things in life yeah, and it's I'm a big believer in, in finding the people that specialize in the thing that you're wanting to learn and then learn from them because you're going to learn so much faster than if you're trying to figure it out for yourself when, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. So finding someone that has learned and has failed and has learned through um, just the, the process is um, is always going to be, I think, um, far more efficient than if you're trying to search for, you know, what you don't even realize that you don't know. So Yeah, that's such, such good advice. Um, this might be controversial, but um, if all we've got in our pockets is an iPhone, what are your thoughts on shooting Astro with phones? I know that a lot of them use like AI and stuff when it's um, looking towards the moon. Do you, do you shoot anything on your phone or is it all on your camera? I am a big believer out in the, in the idea that the best camera is the one that you have on you. Mm. So whether it's an iPhone, whether it's a smartphone, whether it's a DSLR or a mirrorless, whatever camera you have on you at the time. And with the phone cameras now being so good, you're able to capture really good images. But for me, what I want to do um, can't be can't be captured on a phone yet the technology just isn't there yeah but yeah the idea of having these small portable lightweight devices is is really appealing when you're carrying like 20 30 kgs of camera gear around so 
I'm all for it. I'm all for the technology changing and growing. And I think, you know, there will come a time where that phone camera could could replace the DSLR in terms of or, or match it just for image quality. But uh, yeah, at this point, phones, for me, aren't, uh, aren't good enough mm. for astrophotography. Yeah. Let's sort of get back to the basics. Um, say someone's got a DSLR and it's their first or second time trying to shoot astro. What sort of settings would you recommend that people go for? You're looking at high ISO. Um, so there's a couple of factors involved. What lens are you shooting with? Um, what camera? Some cameras can handle different ISOs better than others, but you want to be up around 6,400 ISO and generally a, a longer shutter speed of yeah. somewhere between 15 and 30 seconds. And with your po- your lowest uh, lowest f-stop possible, so often it's a, a 2.8 or a f4 lens. So mm-hmm just wide open um, would be a good place to start. And then just kind of shifting things around from there, just uh, changing shutter speeds and, and the ISO and seeing how you get on, yeah. Yeah. Another really good tip that um, I got um, is to do like a two-second timer or something so that when you push your shutter, you can sort of step back and not get that shake from you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't have a remote on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm often using a two-second timer. It just depends on where I am or, or what I'm doing exactly. But yeah. uh, it's a great way to, to like avoid that camera shake, like you said, yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about one of your favorite photos ever taken. Oh, that's a, that's a big one. Um, I think the one that comes to mind is it's a massive um, panorama from Iceland of the aurora. And why it's my favorite photo is when I started the night, it was, it was winter in 2020 and the night started out crystal clear skies, no wind, but not a single sign of aurora in the sky. And so like I have this motto for my photography and it goes, who dares wins? So if you're prepared to put in the time, put in the patience and and be out there, then magic can happen. And mm-hmm. so this night it was a, yeah, it was like negative 10 degrees, maybe a bit colder, negative 15. And it was freezing and there was no wind, which was really rare for Iceland. So I went out and just was just hoping something would happen. And it turned out to be incredible. Like the aurora just kicked off out of nowhere at one point in the night. And then just suddenly it was just all around me everywhere. And I was just frothing. I thought this is, you know, these are the moments that you live for just by taking the opportunity. There was no one else out at all. I didn't see another soul Mm. out the whole night while I was shooting. I couldn't believe it. And so it was just like a testament to like, you know, if you're prepared to put yourself in situations where something might happen, then something could happen. And that night, yeah, that was, that's one of my favorite ever moments for sure yeah Mm, I love that that's so cool because it sounds like the experience was magical and then to be able to capture that in a photograph um it's it's sort of like a double win isn't it yeah absolutely and there's something really crazy um inspirational about the aurora and um you know to be able to get into a position in a place such as Iceland where it is like next level was always a dream come true and and to to have these moments happen you know and to be able to capture them that's you know that's even more meaningful to have these memories that you've got captured yeah absolutely so a lot of people don't know that you can actually see the southern lights in new zealand um do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah well that's a really interesting question because the aurora here is really different to what you get up in the northern hemisphere but on the on really clear nights you can see you can see it with your naked eye here and 
Aurora photography in New Zealand has become a lot more popular. There's a lot more people doing it and there's a lot more interest around it. So the thing is down here, but we're further away from the pole here. So we don't see it overhead like we, they see it up in the Northern Hemisphere. So we kind of see it on the horizon. But, but when it does get big, I've heard stories of it being overhead. And yeah, so as it comes into like the the peak of the solar cycle, then we can be expecting some really good uh, displays in the near future, I think. Yeah. And how far south do you have to be to experience the aurora? And what sort of conditions are ideal for that? Well, it has to be clear for a starter. So you just need clear skies and with as less moon as possible. Yeah. So the new moon phase is the best where the skies are the darkest. I saw my first aurora ever from Auckland, uh, funnily enough, in 2017. No way. Yeah, yeah. It was um, me and my flatmate were um, just out shooting out west in Auckland, uh, sunset, and then we got an aurora alert. So we grabbed our gear and went to a different location and just set up some time lapses. And then halfway through the night, we checked them. And yeah, we had aurora on our cameras. Couldn't see it with the naked eye because it's, you know, it was quite far away. But that was crazy. And I think we were the second or third people that had ever seen aurora from Auckland. Mm. And so after that, I went down to the South Island. So basically on a really good night, clear night, you can see the aurora anywhere on the southern horizon in the South Island, as long as you've got like a clear clear view south. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Does it does it have to be winter or can you see it in summer as well? No, it just needs to be dark. Okay. Obviously winter's got way more dark hours than summer. But yeah, the aurora yeah. It works on like a monthly cycle, so you get these sunspots or these these regions that are emitting like solar wind, and they they, you know, they rotate into view every mm-hmm. every month. So it's just a matter of coinciding those um, those solar flares when they happen with with darkness hours and and less moon. So yeah, yeah, no, that's phenomenal. I'm sure seeing the northern lights or the aurora in Iceland or somewhere there is on most people's bucket list, but. I'm quite keen to see what New Zealand's got before I head to Iceland. Um, I just think it's it would be so cool to sort of experience that here at home. Yep. Yeah, because it's, it's something that most people don't realise is even there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's it's, – it's, I feel that seeing the aurora in New Zealand, you earn it a lot more because it is harder to see. You've got to make more effort to see it here. Uh, so when you do see it, and if you're a photographer, if you get to capture it, it's, it is really like something pretty special. Yeah. Um, I had a friend a couple of years ago that did a flight. I think it took off from Christchurch or maybe Invercargill. And it pretty much just flew like sort of to Antarctica in an aurora and then came back. Have you heard of those? Yeah, the flights, flights to the lights. Yeah. Yeah. Do those happen often? Have you been on one? I've always been intrigued as to like how that works being up in a plane. Uh, I haven't been on one, but I've seen when I first flew to Iceland, we actually saw the, the aurora from the plane in Iceland. Yeah. And so that was like, that was cool. That was crazy. But I probably wouldn't choose to pay all that money to be on a plane to watch the aurora. I would prefer to be on the ground um and not stuck in a little metal box so it's kind of a novel idea the windows aren't very big are they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the whole thing's novel um if someone ever paid for me to go of course i'll do it but i would rather spend that money going somewhere uh, more magical and having that experience on the ground where you can go to different locations and you're not restricted to just like a little seat and a little window 
Yeah, I mean, to sort of fly into the aurora, whether it's in Iceland or Antarctica, I feel like that would just be phenomenal. Everything from a plane is just like extra magic, you know, like clouds, sunsets, sunrises. It's just all so cool up up in the sky. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's way more difficult to, to capture because you're shooting, you got to shoot through like a, a window, which is like really thick yeah. and distorted. So, 100%. I mean, it'd be cool, yeah. like. It'll be cool. Like it's, it'll be a cool experience, but for me, it wouldn't, you know, after I have seen it on the ground and seen it from the air, I know where I'd prefer to be. Yeah. Do you have a bucket list shot that you've, you've got at the moment in New Zealand that you want to capture? I do actually. Um, I've got a, I've got a, a small little list. They involve, um, uh, I'm not going to give away the exact locations because I know these shots haven't been shot before, but I will say that they're up in the Southern Alps and they're in the snow line. If they happen, they're probably, you know, getting the conditions, I think this is going to be like a real challenge um, to get the right conditions. But um, yeah, they involve some high al- alpine um, hiking and maybe a heli flight or two to a couple of locations so yeah always always got a few shots on my on my mind these ones will be very tricky to they could even be like 10 year goals i'm not sure it's just it's just going to be really interesting to see how the weather lines up with the milky way phase so watch the space yeah absolutely it's a it's a lot of stars that have to align (laughs) yep it sure is and i think that's that's the that's kind of the thing as a photographer you want you don't want it to be if it was easy everyone would be doing it right yeah 100%. And you kind of have to have these these aspirations these goals that push you on to keep keep trying and keep um you know keeping your interest alive and i think i think that's the journey of every photographer that we're always trying to outdo ourselves and and get that next shot or that next challenge and it's definitely the case for me for sure so yeah, looking forward to seeing what this year uh, produces. Yeah. You've talked a little bit about your process, um, sort of planning out these shots, and some of them take five, ten years before you get them. But um, are there ever times where it's a bit more of a spontaneous decision and you haven't been planning anything but you just see the conditions are perfect have, like, or are most of them planned? What's the sort of balance between planned versus spontaneous adventures? I think – with the more difficult places to shoot, they're a lot more planned. Uh, but last night, for example, I just it was dark here. I just grabbed my camera and drove half an hour away and just started shooting before the moon rose. So sometimes it's just on the fly, on the moment. Yeah. And I kind of enjoy that side of it as well. Like it was just clear. I wasn't doing anything. I thought, yeah, I'll just go out and shoot some stuff for a couple of hours. And yeah, it was great. It was fun and there was no pressure. And I was experimenting with a, a few different kind of capture techniques. So that I think that's important to have both and otherwise you get too like caught up in the seriousness of getting the shot but you don't actually enjoy you know being able to just take things easy and and just allow yourself uh, different sort of ways to capture stuff so yeah absolutely no it's really cool to hear about that that balance between them both you've got to have fun while you're doing this right there's no point at being too planned or too regimented yeah absolutely I think you know if you're not enjoying it then you kind of got to question what what's the point in it uh, and I, I never want to get like that with my photography I always want to have fun I want to enjoy what I'm doing uh, and never lose that passion for it so yeah I think it's important to give yourself the freedom to have it both ways you know yeah absolutely um just sort of before we wrap up I'm keen to hear um as a child were you always sort of fascinated by the stars or was that something that sort of came on later in life when you started photography that you got into astro or 
had there always been something inside you that was just looking up at the sky? So when we were growing up, my parents always took us hiking. So we were always outside. We were always doing some sort of adventure. And one of the things yeah. that we would always do when we'd go and stay in the huts, we would always take the mattresses outside of the hut and just lie out under the stars. So my dad was into astronomy a little bit and he would always point out different constellations and stuff. So being out under the stars for me, it's not a foreign thing. So when I picked up a camera, it kind of came naturally because I was already mm. curious about the universe and it was and it was like this familiar thing. So I always wanted to learn how to capture it. And so that curiosity just led to the experimentation of, of shooting and, and it just came, it went from there really. So yeah, yeah. now I just, when I go hiking or anything, I'm always outside of the hut and more often than not shooting because I think it's just, uh, you know, a lot of people will go to a hut or a lot of people will go somewhere and then as soon as it gets dark, they stay indoors. But then this whole other world comes alive at night, you know, yeah. and I want to be someone that, like, that captures that. So, yeah, I think it's just like that curiosity from a young age was, you know, kind of has just come out through my photography. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. That's That's just so beautiful, such a cool story. And I think we're almost out of time. So do you want to let people know where they can find you on socials, where they can see some of your past work and keep an eye out for new stuff? Yeah, so all my personal photography is under Shadow and Shade NZ, so Instagram, Facebook, website. And then the workshop business is nzphototrips.com. So you can find out all the information about what we're doing. Because one of the things that I really want to do now is teach people what I've learned. And I know there's a lot of people who are really curious about Astro. So, um, yeah, you can find our stuff there. And, and uh, we want to we wanna help people achieve the shots that we've done and, and see the things that we've seen. So, yeah, that'll be, uh, if anyone wants to check that out, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. I'll make sure that all of that's linked in the description so people can find it easily. Um, thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing your experience and some of tips for people. Um, I found it so fascinating just listening to you and your story and how your journey over the last couple of years. So thank you. Oh, good. And thanks for having me. It's, um, yeah, it's cool to be able to talk about the process and, and uh, some of the things behind the work. So yeah, thanks very much. The stars in space have always fascinated me. I remember as a three-year-old telling my parents that I wanted to get married on the moon. Come a long way from there, but I've had so much respect for photographers that are able to capture the incredible beauty of the Milky Way galaxies, auroras, and everything the night sky has to offer. Right after we recorded this episode, there was this incredible pulsating pink and green aurora in the south that could be seen with the naked eye even over Queenstown. So I hope Lauren's tips enable you to witness the next Southern Lights show or perhaps even capture the magical Milky Way. Head to the description to see more of Lauren's work. You really, you really do have to see it. Thank you so much for tuning in and coming along for the ride. If you love the show and enjoyed listening, please take the time to leave a review on Apple or Spotify. I would also love to connect with you. So send me a DM on Instagram or leave me a voice message. And I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, keep adventuring.